before Robin comes and leads us in our prayers for the wider world, we're going to read from uh, Luke chapter 8 as we continue our series in Luke's Gospel. In this chapter, Jesus performs three miraculous healings. The first of these is found in chapter 8, starting at verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus... They found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. So Robin's now. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman 
seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her up by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Before Tim comes and shares what God has laid on his heart, let's uh, sing, let's stand and sing, Breathe on me, breath of God. How many times have you thought or felt that? Or been with someone desperate who just feels that their situation is so bad that there's nothing that can be done about it? All three of the people we encounter in our readings from Luke today found themselves in such a situation. The man who met Jesus the other side of the lake was beyond help. We don't know how long he'd been in this condition. Luke simply tells us it had been for a long time. And something was seriously wrong with him. He shunned society. He preferred to live in the local cemetery rather than stay at home. And he never wore any clothes. And it wasn't even as if he hid himself away there. So if you are unlucky, you might catch a glimpse of a naked man. When you visited the graveyard, you could hear him shouting and screaming all the time. There was no ignoring his presence. Mark also tells us that he was into self-harming that he would spend his time cutting himself with stones. Unable to cure him, the local people had done what they could to restrain him. They tried bringing him home, giving him a mind to look after him. But it didn't matter what you did, he always escaped. Ended up being driven back to live amongst the dead in their graves, avoiding society and the company of the living. Over the years, they tried more drastic measures to try and keep him under control. Um, they bound his feet using chains and shackles, but he still somehow managed to wrench them apart and go back to living among the tombs. What was the matter with him? Luke says he had demons living inside him, a whole host of them, so many that he'd acquired the name Legion. These days our first thought might be that he was suffering from some kind of mental disorder, but we should beware of assuming that that was all there was to his condition. His phenomenal strength, 
breaking apart the shackles with which he had been changed, suggests there really could have been some kind of supernatural or demonic aspect to his condition. And we should beware of falling into a trap of cultural superiority, supposing that just with the right medication and good support from the mental health services, he would have been fine. Many people, particularly those who have had dealings with the occult, would be able to bear witness to the destructive power of evil unleashed in their lives through that. When it comes to the question of demons, you can go overboard in one of two directions. One is to dismiss all talk of demons as primitive nonsense. The other is for Christians to become so immersed naively in a biblical worldview that we assume that any indication of mental health problems must have a demonic cause. The reality is that many disorders have complicated multiple factors. There may be social trauma, chemical imbalance in the body, some kind of substance abuse, genetic factors, extreme stress, either experienced recently or in infancy or in pregnancy, and occasionally there will be a spiritual dimension as well. Psychologically, people are fairly robust, but sometimes a single trauma or a combination of factors could be enough to push us over the edge. And in the case of the man whom Jesus met among the tombs, his behaviour could lead us to suppose that he was mentally deranged or insane. But actually, in his case, somewhere along the line, he had lost control of his life to destructive spiritual powers that had invaded his mind. And you can see the way in which he's being torn apart inside. His words don't match his actions. His first instinct when he sees Jesus is to run towards him and throw himself at the ground in front of him. But when he opens his mouth and starts to speak, he says he wants nothing to do with Jesus. What do you want with me, he says. Leave me alone. Don't torment me. And in the course of his conversation with Jesus, it is as if he gradually loses the capacity for independent speech. Once he's given his name, Legion, the demons inside start speaking directly through him as they beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss. It's a deeply disturbing episode. No wonder those who witnessed it were so terrified they just wanted to put as much distance between Jesus and themselves as was possible. And when Jesus returns to civilization on the other side of the lake, he's met by the ruler of the synagogue and he comes and falls at Jesus' feet and implores him to come and heal his daughter. But while Jesus is still on the way, he's accosted by a woman who was beyond healing. She'd had menstrual difficulties and had been bleeding pretty much all the time for the past 12 years. No one had been able to cure her. Some versions of the story add to the detail that she'd spent every penny she had on doctors, but none of them had been able to do a thing for her. So we get an insight into her desperation. Perhaps Jesus was the only person in the world who might be able to help her. She had no other options left. But approach him directly? That was out of the question. Her medical condition made her unclean. Anyone with whom she came into contact would have been contaminated by her. So she decided to try and creep up behind Jesus unnoticed and just grasped the hem of his garment, thinking that if she did so, she'd be made well again. And that's what she did, and that's what happened. As soon as she touched Jesus' cloak, she felt that the source of her bleeding had been stopped. 
But Jesus felt something happen as well. He'd felt power go out of him. So he stops and asks, who touched me? And he wouldn't be dissuaded by Peter who remonstrated that it made no sense to ask who touched him with everyone crowding round and pressing in on him. But Jesus stood his ground. And with that, any hope the woman might have had of touching his cloak and fading unnoticed into the crowd was gone. So she, like the man among the tombs, like the ruler of the synagogue, throws herself on the ground before Jesus and pours out her story to him. All this takes time. Precious moments ticking away that can't be recovered. You can imagine the anxiety, the frustration of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, whose daughter was at death's door. Yes, this woman had been ill for 12 years, but what difference would half an hour make? Uh, you know, his need was immediate and urgent. Why waste time talking to her? Couldn't Jesus see that his daughter's life was in danger and this was an emergency? And his worst fears are realised as someone from his home breaks the bad news to him. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher any longer. And suddenly, by only a matter of minutes, Jairus is beyond hope. If his daughter is dead, there's nothing more to be done. And who knows what he made of Jesus' words to him. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And when they got to the house and Jesus tried to tell the crowd of mourners that the young girl wasn't really dead, she was just asleep, they laughed at him. People who a moment earlier had been weeping and wailing and mourning for the young girl's death. In that sudden shift from crying to laughter and ridicule, you can sense the anger of the crowd. And it's no wonder that Jesus wouldn't let any of them into the house with him. Only the girl's parents and Peter, John and James. And he takes the girl's hand and speaks to her. Child, get up. And at his words, her spirit returned to her and she stood up. And he restored her to her parents and told them to give her something to eat. We don't know the young girl's name. We only know her as Jairus' daughter. We don't know the name of the woman who touched Jesus' cloak. We refer to her as the woman with the issue of blood. We don't know the name of the Gerizim demoniac, as he's called. People only call him Legion because that was the name he was given on account of his condition. Three nameless people. Each of them very different. A foreigner. He was a deeply troubled social outcast who was beyond help. A woman whose long-standing medical condition meant that she was socially unacceptable and beyond healing. And a young girl from a privileged background for whom time ran out and her mortal illness meant that her situation was beyond hope. And yet Jesus saved them all. Luke uses the same word for each of them, saved. In verse 48, those who had witnessed what had transpired between Jesus and the man in the tombs told those who came to see what had happened, they told them how the demon-possessed man had been saved. And in his case, he'd been saved from destruction. 
When the demonic forces that had been tearing him apart inside entered the pigs on the hillside, the whole herd rushed headlong down into the lake and were drowned. No wonder the local pig farmers were upset. Mark tells us about 2,000 pigs died that day. Make of it what you will. But the immediate destruction of those pigs gives us an insight into the destructive power of the forces at work inside that man, tearing his life apart. And once they were gone, he was different. People found him sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind. Suddenly, he's all right. He's normal. He's well, healed and cured. He is himself again. His life no longer controlled by destructive forces. Jesus has saved him. And what about the woman? Just touching Jesus' cloak brought her the healing that she craved and needed, but Jesus makes her come out of the open and tell her story, terrified as she is. And in verse 48, Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you once and for all. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And in her case, whatever physical disorder had led to her condition, it was healed. She was saved from disease. And with that physical healing came acceptance as Jesus addresses her as daughter, acknowledges her as one of his own. She's not an outcast any longer. She belongs to his family now. She doesn't need to slink away unnoticed and he won't let her do so. Jesus sends her on her way in peace. It's not just her body that's been healed. Jesus has touched her mind and her spirit as well reintegrated her back into society. She's accepted. She no longer, to be, no longer needs to be ashamed to hide herself away. And Jairus' daughter, well, she was saved from death. That's the import of Jesus' words to her distraught father in verse 50. Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be saved. She will be healed. She will be made well. And so it is that Jesus takes her hand and talks to her. And as he does so, her spirit returns and she's restored alive and well to her parents. Jesus' authority over the demonic, over disease, over death, he is Lord, the Lord of life. Three different unnamed people. Three very different situations. But Jesus speaks a word of salvation to each of these people, and as he addresses them, they are saved. What is Luke telling us through these stories? Three very different people, each of them saved. I think these people are representatives, and Luke is saying, whatever your situation is, whatever your need is, Jesus is the one who can be your saviour. He's inviting us to relinquish our fears and to believe, to believe that Jesus is the one who can save us when everything seems beyond help, beyond healing, beyond hope. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where everything is beyond remedy, where our plight 
is beyond rescue and our lives are beyond redemption. And Luke is saying if we find ourselves in that situation, Jesus is the one who can save us. And that might seem incredible, but Luke says, put yourself in the shoes of each of these characters. The man who for so long had lived in the tombs far beyond anyone's capacity to help him. The woman who'd spent every penny she had over the past 12 years trying to find some kind of miracle cure for her condition. The man devastated by the news that his precious daughter had died because Jesus had stopped to talk to a stranger on the way. All of these people were desperate. All of them found a saviour in Jesus. Because Jesus can save those beyond remedy, those beyond rescue, those beyond redemption, and you. Perhaps it's time for you to come and fall at his feet, as they did. Give your life to him and say, Jesus, I feel I hardly know you, I scarcely know what to believe, but I want to give you my life. I'm prepared to place my situation in your hands. I want to trust you. You saved each of these other people. What you did for them, would you do for me? Save me, I pray. Be my saviour. As I give my life to you and trust you, save me, I pray. And Jesus, Jesus hears your prayer because you, you are not unnoticed. Let's pray. Lord, we hear these stories from a different time in a different place. And it's very easy for us to feel that you, you did it for them, but you can't do it for me, or you won't do it for me. Yet you know us. You understand us. You love us. And you are mighty to save. Help us to come to you, trembling as we are, inadequate as we feel, not wanting to draw attention to ourselves, scarcely able to break free from the forces that control us, governed as we are by despair. Help us to come to you. And would you be our saviour? Because you are the saviour of the world. And we put our trust in you, Jesus, the one through whom God saves. Amen. If you're in a situation where you'd like prayer, the people who are available in the prayer corner, there are those with yellow badges.